names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Hey, feel free to take a seat, and as you sit down, turn to someone next to you. Ask them how their day has been. Give them maybe a high five. Say hey. So good. Thank you, worship team. And uh, shout out to Roxy. This is your first time singing tonight? Yeah? Yes. You killed it at Collective. She killed it, man. So good. Thank you, worship team. Hey, it feels good to be in this space tonight. Yeah? You think so? Yeah? Do you think this was a good idea? It doesn't matter. We're going to do it anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, welcome to Collective. Uh, as I said at the beginning, my name is Nick, and we're a gathering of young adults who uh, just love Jesus. We love his word. We love his presence, and we want to be more like him. And each week we gather together. Now in the hub, we used to gather at the west side, and we're just getting together to figure out what that means as a young person in the 21st century. So if it's your first time, I'm just so glad you're here. If it's your millionth time, I don't know. Just kidding. I'm glad you're here, too. I'm glad you're here, too. Um, I don't know if as a kid you had any crazy uh, compulsive obsessions. For some it was Legos. For others it was like Polly Pocket. Uh, For others it may have been I Spy. I don't know what you were into. But as a six-year-old for myself, um, I was obsessed with one topic and one topic only for about a year. And this topic was the sinking of the Titanic. Don't – I – Don't ask me why I was obsessed with thousands of innocent people dying in the middle of the ocean. But this interest was sparked when one Saturday evening I was upstairs playing Legos in my room, my prior obsession, and I just hear my mom and two sisters wailing in the living room. I think someone's in the house. I don't know what's going on. So I walk in, and it's that iconic scene from the Titanic movie where Leo is freezing his little eyebrows off in the water. We have a little screenshot to show you tonight. We all know he could have fit on the door frame. He could have. He could have done it. She is not 12 feet tall. But they're crying their eyes out to this movie where a 100-year-old woman uh, relives two days, a two-day fling with a talentless artist who's most like a con man. You know what I mean? Like, just a bunk movie overall. But... They're watching this movie, and while my sisters and mom are just bawling their eyes out, I'm thinking, wait, what about the ship and all the people dying in the water? <laughs> What's that about? So my six-year-old brain kicks in, and I just start going to the library with my parents, and I pick up every Titanic book. No, I have not been put through that much therapy yet. But I just remember reading about it, and uh, I want to divulge a little knowledge with you tonight about the sinking of the Titanic. Actually, opposed to popular thought, the Titanic, this giant ship, if you're not aware, that carried thousands upon thousands of people and sunk sometime way long ago. All the people died, um, pretty much. This ship 
impacted a glacier in the middle of the ocean. And many people think that um, it ripped a giant hole in the side of the ship and it just sunk immediately. But actually how the ship sunk was there was faulty rivets in the bottom of the ship's hull and barely scraping the side of this glacier, slowly over time, water overtook the ship and sunk it over like two hours. That's why everyone died. And what's so fascinating is historians tell us that the ship, if it went a few degrees to the left, and it totally uh, averted the iceberg, all the people would have survived. And if it went a few degrees to the right and completely crashed head on into this glacier, the ship actually would have been okay. It actually would have maintained damage, but actually not have sunk. And it's fascinating to me how often in life we think things are much more dramatic and amplified than they really are. That the sinking of this ship, what we think is this catastrophic crazy moment, was a few scrapes on the side, and, and slowly as water filled up the ship, it sunk over time. See, tonight we're jumping into a series titled Shipwrecked, hence that story. And the, and the, and the idea of this series is that often in my own life, and I believe in many other young people's lives, what often can shipwreck our faith, what can often shipwreck our lives, making us feel stranded, what can often just devastate us, more often than not, is relationships in our life. Whether it be friends that gossiped about you, stabbed you in the back. Whether it be an ex who treated you horribly and you're still trying to recover from that relationship. Or it's a family dynamic that wasn't as it should have been. The relationships we're surrounded by often cause damage in our lives and in our hearts. And the fear for many of us is that when this takes place we begin to live into a fear that there's no hope for us. That all that what, what, what we knew, that all that we trusted and hoped in, that we're abandoned to our shame and our regrets and the things done against us. I don't believe that to be the final story for you and I tonight, my friend. I believe that we serve a God who wants to redeem the wreckage. That for many of us in this space tonight, we may be feeling that wreckage. It may feel very evident. We, it may be having things come to our mind right now, but I, I believe in a God that wants to redeem the wreckage in our lives. And not only that, I believe in a God who takes very seriously relationships. If you want to think about relationships in general, it's kind of God's currency. The way he works through history is through relationship. The way he comes to know us is through relationship. And so it's something that he invented, and it's something he, he, knows, he knows a few things about, you could say. And I believe that not only does he want to redeem the wreckage of our lives, but I believe that if we live our lives and abide by what he desires for us, we can even avert potential wreckage in our lives. That by being obedient to what he asks of us, to what his expectations are, for many of us, we may not even have to have a life wrecked by these factors. Tonight, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about navigating through relationships using God's coordinates. Navigating through relationships using God's coordinates. See, for all relationships in Scripture, it gets kind of weird talking on any, any topic or subject. And if we're going to really talk about relationships, and, and disclaimer, when I talk about relationships, I don't just mean romantic ones. I'm talking about friendships. I'm, I'm talking about what does it mean to be a good coworker. I'm talking about what does it mean to be a good brother? What does it mean to be a good sister? What does it mean to be a good dad? What does it mean to be a good wife? What are these factors? 
Because whether we like it or not, life is composed of relationships. And we need to know how to navigate through them so that we do not wreck our lives. I want to start at the beginning where Ollie just read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. I want to reread this verse to you really quickly. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. Don't say this out loud, because then it'll get really political. But if you could say what the worst thing in the world is, the, the world's biggest issue, the world's biggest problem, what would you say? Would you, maybe somebody said it anyway, but that's okay. Would you say inflation? Would you say the wars going on in the Middle East? Would you say the issues in Venezuela of oil fields and the access to the average person for oil? Would you say food crisis? Would you say an isolation crisis? Would you say that grandparents are aging out in Japan and they have no young people to take care of them? There's a million and one things we could say that this is the biggest issue in the world. To really understand what is the biggest issue in the world, I believe we can look at one thing and one thing only as an idea, and that's corporations. It's not going to go where you think it will, but track with me here. Um, Corporations in general are fascinating to me because it is a thing created by one person, and always, without a shadow of a doubt, when this company is created, at the very conception of that company, the moment it is made... This person has such big vision. You think of Steve Jobs in 2007, right? Like, he is just so excited about the iPhone. It ruined our lives, but thanks, Steve. Um, You you think of Walt Disney starting Disney and just this passion he has and this vision for what it could be. Now, it's a little overpriced in the trails or a little stale, but that's okay, Walt. I forgive you. You think of something like Starbucks, Howard Schultz just wanting to make coffee accessible to everybody. You think of these different corporations when they start. It's so passionate, right? When you read these people's biographies and you hear about their lives and you read these quotes, it's like they really believed in what they started. But there's an interesting book uh, by uh, Tim Mickle titled How Apple Lost Its Soul, speaking of corporations. And he actually details that after Steve Jobs died, slowly Apple lost the original vision as a company and kind of became a shell of itself. It no longer was carried by this vision of maybe what Steve had in mind, but it now became just kind of consumerism. And this is true for everything, by the way. Um, The last time you went to Starbucks, you uh, got yourself a little caramel frap. Okay, I know it. It's okay. I did too. All right, a little ribbon crunch in there. You know what I'm saying? And you went there not because you read Howard Schultz's biography and you're just so empowered by his life and you just believe in what he had. No, you had a little tough day and you were very brave, so you need to get yourself a little treat. Okay, that's okay. We can say amen. Um, you did not buy an iPhone because you read Steve Jobs' biography and you were so compelled by his black turtleneck and new balances that you wanted to be just like him. No, you bought an iPhone so you wouldn't have a green text bubble. Okay, we all know that. We all know that. Sorry, Android users. It's inferior but superior. I don't know what to say about it. Same could be said for any company, Walmart, Chipotle. We go to these places because they just offer a service to us. There's no grander vision. There's no greater thing we're ascending to. It's simply, it makes sense to buy this, kind of, and I want it, so I'm going to go, and they're the best to do it, so I'm going to buy it. If you could summarize how companies die or how companies lose their soul, they miss out and stop believing in the vision of their creator. If you could summarize, similarly, the issue with humanity, is it the oil crisis, is it presidential election coming up, good luck, is it, is it all these things, what is it? It's that as humans, 
we have decided to no longer live into the vision of our creator, but something else. We have decided to actually adopt a new vision for our lives and live entirely apart from what he had in mind. That's all that life is on this side of heaven mostly. Anytime we hear this word sin, when somebody does wrong against us or we do wrong against others, at the heart of it, it is because we are no longer living into God's vision for what it means to be human. We have crafted up our own idea. And so tonight, I want to begin our series on relationships, starting at the very fundamentals of talking about how God's vision for your life is timeless, my friends. God's vision for your life is timeless. And if you can get on board with from the very beginning what God had in mind for humanity, it will lay the foundation for how you should approach all relationships in your life. When we reread verse 7, it is so fascinating to me, the poetic, beautiful language. You can see chapter 2 as a really in-depth look at God's greatest creation. Ephesians tells us that we're actually his workmanship, right? You go to Hawaii, you go to White Sands, you go to beautiful places. That's not God's greatest work. You are. And we read in verse 7 this. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. If you jump back to chapter 1, it's a broader overview of the creation narrative. And it said this in verse 25. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. They will be like they, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then he goes on to say, and what he said, and, and chapter 1 has this re repetition of God made it. It's good. God made it. It's good. Do you know that humanity, from the very beginning point, God looked at it and said, it is good. That what corrupted humanity wasn't humanity itself, but a lie humanity believed. And so we look at the very beginning and we read this verse, and it's just rife with this beautiful poetic language of God's vision for humanity. That he creates them in his own image and he crafts. Like, God is an artist in this passage. And, and we see in these, this phrasing um, there's this word used. It's uh, salem. I think I'm saying that right. And it's when it says he breathed into them. And it talks about how actually this word used for crafting humanity, it's actually that. It's like his signature. It's his mark, like an artist would put on a painting. I don't know the last time you thought what you thought about yourself when you looked in the mirror, but you're God's workmanship. You're his beautiful masterpiece. That's what this story is telling us right now. See, often in relationships, in life having to be composed of them, you know, introverts in the room, shout out, I'm one of you. Uh, yeah, that's true, by the way. Uh, often, it can feel very easy to actually believe life's easier without people. You know what I'm saying? Like, like nobody on Paseo, no traffic, you know what I'm saying? Great. Nobody cutting you off, okay? Nobody in line at Chipotle. Actually, nobody working at Chipotle. You serve yourself. Do three times meat, okay? Life can often feel a, a little bit burdensome with people at times. If we're really honest with ourselves, it can feel like people are inconvenienced. It can feel like when people wrong us that um, life would be better apart from them. And I believe that often what we can step into is that we can miss the point as humans as to where people came from. We can begin to see people for the sum of their mistakes, how they wrong us, everything wrong with the world than for the reality of what God intended for them. 
See, I think it is no secret that Albuquerque at large has a, has a pretty bad homelessness issue. And if I'm being vulnerable with you tonight, I have, I have a hard time having compassion. Often I'll be driving around with Skylar and I'll say something really stupid. And one time we were driving and uh, we had just had Wesley. And as a parent, you just cry all the time, okay? When you become a mom or a dad, uh, you just cry 24-7. And we were driving around and I, I saw this guy on the side of the road and I just said something ridiculous. Then Skylar just turns to me and says, do you understand that at some point in that person's life, they were somebody else's baby? It was, it was still this day, it was just so profound to hear that, that at some point in a person's life, no matter the exterior appearance they have, no matter the scars they bear, no matter the difficulty they've faced and been through, and maybe even brought upon themselves, that somebody looked at them and they were helpless and they needed to be helped. And somebody nurtured them and cared for them and loved them at some point in their life. I bawled my eyes out, to say the least. Um, but it's really hard to misunderstand people when you know where they come from. It, it, put it another way. It's easy to be understanding of others when you know where they come from. When we start from the very beginning and say that man, humanity, was made in the image of God, crafted for a purpose, on purpose, not some cosmological explosion on accident, but that God orchestrated all things to craft his most perfect creation, his most supreme creation, humans, it should change the game for you and I. That people aren't just another animal, that people aren't like your dog, sorry, <laughs> at times, but people, we have souls, we have something set apart about us, that we are not just mere coincidences or accidents. I believe that should change and shift the way we view other people. Not just that, God is just warming up, as he always does in scripture. In verse 18, we'll jump down to, because it's very pertinent to our talk tonight. It says this in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from him, from, formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. Notice this real quick. This is done on purpose. The Bible is not an accident. Verse 18 says, and there was no helper suitable for him. Okay? And then God continues, and it lists out different creations. And it's like this missing puzzle piece that's like, ah, no, 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 nope, doesn't work. Then verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken for man. Notice one more thing before we continue. Marriage and being a wife and being a husband is not mentioned until verse 24. And when Jesus quotes this passage in Matthew 19, he quotes this portion not the portion of verse 18. That's important. Keep that in the back of your head. Try to. You're very best, okay? Um, and we'll keep going. I don't know if you've seen this image before. We'll put it up. It is called um, The Scream, but really titled uh, Isolation. And it was painted by an artist uh, named Edward, Edward, okay? Yeah, you can say Edward or Edward if you're really, you know, cultured. Munch. 
okay? Um, he based it off actually a painting prior, um, and this is the screen, but the painting he based it off it was a painting a year before called Isolation, and we'll pull up that image as well. This is the original painting he actually based it off of, and um, Edward, as a human, greatly struggled in his life with mental health. He recounted countless journals about how he struggled with anxiety and depression. He was most likely manic depressive and actually bipolar. And at the age of 35, by the time he was like 30, 35 years old, both his sisters uh, had died from tuberculosis. His mom had died when he was five. His father had died when he was 14. His brother had died from tuberculosis as well. And the only person left in his life was his one sister who was mentally insane. So his whole life had culminated to this one painting, and what has been made fun of in SpongeBob most likely and different things is this photo, the scream, if we could go back to it, of where if you look at the colors and the shifting and the character themselves, everything is distorted and this person is entirely alone. That in countless journals from this artist, he would recount that he is isolated, he has nobody to confide in, he has nobody to be there for him. And that this painting, is the epitome of how it feels truly to feel as if you have no one in the world and you're the only one you know. It's, it's a difficult feeling, isn't it? I believe that more people than they care to admit could relate to his, this man's story. That more of us than we would even tell our friends sitting next to us, our family members at home, we are just living in quiet desperation, isolated. That nobody really knows us. We don't feel that way. We don't, we don't feel the, the desire or ability to even articulate to people what's going through our minds. We, we feel as if nobody is understanding of the place we are in. And this is the case for countless people, especially young people. There's so much going on in the world. There's so much confusion. There's so much trauma. There's so much abuse. There's so much difficulty in life that often it can feel as if we're just confided to the own, our own minds. And I believe tonight that for you and I, God's vision for our lives isn't for us to stay there. His vision for you and I to thrive, to have the good life, is not incorporated from being isolated from everyone we know or could ever love. And to feel as if we never could be capable of loving others. See, God's vision incorporates community. Notice this. In this verse... Often, I hear it quoted at weddings, and if you quote at your wedding, that's okay. I'm not making fun of you, maybe. But often what people do when expositing this verse and what begins to happen in a room is they say, See, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. They jump down to verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. I believe often we couple two ideas into one, instead of allowing one to transition into the other, okay? Let me explain here, all right? The word for helper used here, the closer word is um, aid, okay? That men, we were so down bad, we needed women, okay? Amen, all right? We can't do anything, I guess. I don't know. Um, but we were so down bad that we needed literal rescue, okay? This word is the same Hebrew word that Moses uses for God in Exodus when he gave his aid to rescue them out of Egypt. So this verse has less to do with women being men's maids, women being just men's sexual objects, women just being around just so men could get married to them. This verse has more to do that men on our own were not so great alone. And the same is true of women, that women are not good on their own. But that actually, 
we get to come together in partnership into God's family. That before marriage is mentioned, before anything else is mentioned, that we are to help, that there is a helping, that there is an aiding taking place. That there are things within this passage detail that the, the woman was taken from the man's rib, and in other translations say his side. What's so cool about that is you can stand with anybody. I don't care if you're six foot seven. I could have a rib, okay, being under six foot short king, that could match your rib, right? It doesn't matter how tall you are, how much your stature is, or how low your stature is, we have a rib that is at equal standing. See, what we do in society often is we get uh, confused with the reality of being equal but opposite, okay? There's a reality that women serve a purpose within humanity that men are not capable of serving and vice versa. See, we often think of equality as we can do everything the same. I'm telling you, six foot seven, football player, 280 pounds, I cannot do what he does, all right? That's just the way it is. We're different as humans. We're different as people. And what is crafted in this story is something that is, sim- that is same in species to Adam, but opposite in gender, that complements Adam. And see, in this moment, we have to understand that this is more about community and family and the partnership that God is grafting through humanity than it has to do with anything with marriage just yet. That often we read this verse and we see, oh, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper. And if you're in the room tonight and you're in a place of singleness, you don't know if you'll ever be married, you don't even know if you're attracted to the opposite sex, you feel a little bit left out. You say, I guess I'm alone. I, I guess there's nobody for me. But before it gets to anything else, understand this. There's a repetition going on in this passage. That God, from the beginning, crafts Adam to partner with him in co-dominion over the earth. And then he sees that it's not good, that man needs some help. He needs some assistance. He's, he, has some, he has some quirks, okay? We know that about men, right? Then he grafts female to, to help him in the ways that he can't do things. And there's this partnership taking place. Before anything sexual, before anything's romantic, there is a partnership. I believe this is why in the New Testament that Jesus paints a picture of a family of brothers and sisters. That in this room, unless you're married, because that would be weird, but we're brothers and sisters. Right? We're brothers and sisters. Andrew's my brother. Sierra's my sister. Roxy's my sister. That before anything else, we are in this together, co-partnering with crafting God's vision for humanity. And so we, we land here. And if we keep reading, it doesn't stop there. That marriage is mentioned after the fact. But I think that often within the church, we tend to do this thing where we devalue anybody who's not in a place of marriage. And it comes from kind of a line of thinking of this, that unless you're married, you really don't know what sanctification is like. Unless you have kids, you don't really know what patience is like. Unless you have these things, you have no idea. But we have to understand that Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that there are some to which singleness is appointed, and there are others to which being married is appointed. But that each should be satisfied in the way of life God has assigned to them. And so I do not want you to sit here and feel as if you're not married, you do not belong in verse 18. This is more to do with community and what God and his vision is doing, carried out, when it's not just one person alone, but multiple working together towards his goal, okay? This is why we're told later on in scripture, where two or more gather, there I will be. 
But it doesn't stop there, and it does get to marriage. I know, you've just been waiting all night for this part. That's okay. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. See, finally, marriage is mentioned. And when I read this verse, I'm reminded of uh, my terrible traveling habits. I am the worst person to pack any bag when I'm traveling. I have not learned my lesson. Every single time I travel, go on a plane, go anywhere, I always bring the same ridiculous oversized duffel bag that has no wheels on it, and I load it up with every article of clothing I own. I pack like 50 pairs of underwear. I'm going to poop myself every day, I guess. Like, that's just how I pack, right? And I am just overloading this duffel bag. And I don't think, I do not think to myself, I, I really have to realize I cannot bring what I'm not willing to carry. I, I can't bring what I'm not willing to carry. If I am not willing to lug this thing around my house for two minutes, I should probably not try to run through the airport, an LAX, Satan's airport, to try to get to my next flight. <laughs> right? I believe in relationships. We can often mimic Nick's bad traveling habits, and we can forget that we don't bring what we're not willing to carry. Do not bring what you're not willing to carry. In this passage, we understand that from the very get-go, marriage was a design by God. Marriage is good. Sex is good. His vision for humanity is incorporated in this. This is before the fall. This is before we start living in our own way of life. But if we're not careful, we can begin to believe that marriage is for everybody. And I want... For us tonight to go to Matthew 19. If you think that's harsh, let's read these words. And this is what Jesus is asked about in about divorce. Haven't you read in the scripture, verse 4, they record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then they asked, why did Moses allow us to issue a certificate of divorce? Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Paul will expound on that later in Corinthians. But verse 10, Jesus' disciples say to him the most real thing ever. If this is the case... It's better not to marry. Like, that is just straight honesty. There is no filter there. The disciples here are like, wait, I can't just have any side piece I want? Oh, my word. It is better not to marry, supposedly. This is how the disciples feel. And you have to understand, this was in a culture in a moment where polygamy is just rampant, right? You marry seven people, and it's all good. And you actually had to, um, if your brother died, you had to marry his wife, okay? So that's the culture they're in. You know, where they have the wedding, like, size up, they're like, I don't know, bro. Maybe not. You know what I mean? Anyway. Verse 11, not everyone can accept this statement. Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, I'm not here tonight to uh, prophesy over you if you're going to get married by the end of 2025, getting 25 numbers, 25 times, you're going to get married 25 times. No. <laughs> It's not what I'm here to do tonight. Thank God, okay? Be a way bigger room if I did that. It was right. You know what I'm saying? 
But <laughs> I believe that uh, for many of us, we, we, can, we can show up to this space and uh, we can sit on the edge of our seats all night. We, we can hear these words and we can say, hey, may, maybe it's going to be this sermon, you know, that'll do it for me. Or, or maybe it's going to be this connect group that's going to do it for me. Or maybe it's going to be this conversation or this prayer or this that's going, going to just fix whatever's going on within me. And often uh, within the church, it can feel very as much so as if people who are not in the season or the moment of marriage, children, of all these things, it can feel as if uh, you're almost a cut-off limb, as if you're almost somebody who uh, has no place amidst the normal people. I want to tell you tonight, that is, that is not the heart of God. That, that is not the vision of God for his people, for you to feel that way or to be made to feel that way to some degree. That the vision God has for your life isn't to be married, if you do, that's amazing, hopefully, right? Like, I, I, I pray and hope that you are able to step into the fullness of what you believe God's promised you. But God's vision for your life is to be holy. God's vision for your life is so much bigger than 50 years of your life, you know, if, if you make it that long. God's vision is so much bigger than that, my friend. Is being married great? Yes. But Paul even tells us, I wish more of you were single like I was because you can do more for the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to blank in statement. I never had to date in my 20s. I feel for you guys that it just sound, it's hard. It, it seems hard. It seems challenging. It seems frustrating. Um, I want to empathize with you tonight just pastorally. Like, it is not easy to date. It is not easy to figure out if you're supposed to be single. It's not easy to navigate through what it means to be a good friend while doing all of that. It's challenging. It's challenging to be a young person in our moment right now as it regards relationships. And I have nothing quite crazy profound for you, but I just want to empathize with you that it's challenging. But I believe God has not given us anything he is not willing to help us with. That often we read in the New Testament that God will never give you more than what you can handle. Pfft, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Look at my life, right? I have received many a thing that I cannot handle, okay? But it's that for those who God helps, Jesus says. Who is the third person of the Trinity and what is his name that Jesus promises to be within us once he ascends to heaven? Holy Spirit, right? What is his name? The helper. So I believe that for us navigating through this series, I, I want to... Uh, Maybe let you down a little bit. I don't want you waiting week in, week out, bated breath. Will this be what it does for me? I believe that unraveling and sorting through the vision that God has for your life and singleness, dating, friendship, acquaintances, coworkers, all of that, it is unraveled through the slow daily discipline of following Jesus in community together. That It may not be a flashy, cool response with fireworks behind me, but... I, I believe that's how we unravel what God has for us. Will he show up and, and will he grant things in your life, allow you to be married, allow you to no longer struggle with that thing? Maybe. But even Paul emphasized that he had a thorn in the flesh that he asked many times to be removed. God said, my grace is sufficient. So I want to encourage you tonight with relationships. Don't bring what you're not willing to carry. If you're considering marriage, if you're contemplating these things, reread with me verse 24. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. 
Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. The struggle for many of us of trying to navigate through what marriage looks like is that you get two imperfect people who are about 50% complete in their formation and looking like Jesus, and then you put them together. And it doesn't equal 100%, right? It doesn't equal 100% completion. It's like 50% trauma, 50% other trauma, okay? It's like double the trauma now, right? That's truly real. And I believe that when we look at this garden account, we are to not over-romanticize. This is imperfect prior to sin. But I believe that in following God's vision and it being timeless, that in understanding that beyond any kind of form of isolation, that being married will not fix your isolation. Same thing. You got 50% trauma, 50% trauma. You can take two lonely people, you combine them together. It's no longer just no longer isolated. It's two lonely people together. That many of the things we need to sort through and work through in our time of following Jesus as we navigate through sanctification, as we navigate through discipleship, has less to do with how can I find a baddie, right? It has more to do with what is God doing within my heart and what can I deal with now? What deep internal work can I do now with Christ in community that I don't have to bring into the future? How can I become today the person Jesus needs me to be for others and potentially my spouse tomorrow, right? I believe this is our aim and this is our goal. But ultimately, we're not going to be reliant on God's grace and his compassion and his mercy. That no amount of self-help, no amount of stuffing it down with hookups will fix the broken parts of our hearts apart from God. And so I want to close tonight. And I just want to open up this time um, in prayer. And I just want to invite the band back up. And I want to invite us now into this time to really sit with the Lord and to really contemplate what he's been stirring in our hearts, what maybe he's directing and leading towards us in ways in which we have not been obedient and faithful to his vision of our life. How have we adopted a different way of life than what he had in the beginning? Notice in the beginning it was partnership with others, that before we had anything to take from somebody else, it was serving alongside somebody else for our creator. How have we strayed from that vision? I believe tonight... We can step more into that vision through repentance. We can step more into that vision through confession of sin. And repentance is simple. It's turning. It's turning from your old way of life to Christ. I want to live by those words that God blessed. If you look in that Genesis account, it says, and God blessed their marriage. God's blessing happens when his people are obedient. And so I want to conclude with that tonight. We're going to close in prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. And you could bow your head if you feel led. You can look up to heaven if you feel led. But I, I just want to ask that if there's anybody in this space tonight, if you're just grappling with what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be in relationships and you're struggling, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand so I can pray for you. I see your hand. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you because I believe this is one of the primary ways that the enemy distracts us from God's purpose in our life. Anybody else, just raise your hand. Feel free to do so. I just want to pray for you and know who I'm praying for. Okay. Struggle with isolation. You're struggling with returning to a bad relationship. Whatever it is, I want to begin tonight by consecrating ourselves before the Lord, confessing this, giving it to him so we can march into this series 
knowing full well that we're trusting God with it. We pray for you. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that, Lord, uh, you never give up on us. That, Father, as we navigate through uh, whatever moment of time we're in, maybe we're walking out from a divorce. Maybe we're walking out from a failed relationship with a friend. Walking out from a failed family relationship. Whatever it is, Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, we may submit to you. That ways we've been disobedient, ways in which we have not lived by your coordinates, help us to trust you, Father. Help us to lean deeper into you. Help us to not isolate ourselves. If that takes conversation tonight, Father, give us the courage, Lord. We just pray, Father, that there may be a moment where somebody else knows somebody else needs to talk and be connected with. That you may give us that revelation. So, Father, just equip us as we step into this series to wrestle with your word, to challenge your word, to ask about your word, and to know you deeper by the end of it, to not know deeper about opinions or cultural talks or whatever it may be, Lord, but that we may lean deeper into your word. Put this in your name. Amen. All right. Let's worship. And if you need prayer, um, just come find us. We'll be around the room. Some of us have badges. Some of us don't. If you need prayer, just ask. Most likely, most people in this room follow Jesus and can pray for you. We all have the same Holy Spirit. So, We'd love to pray for you. Uh, Don't go through it alone, okay? We love you guys. Let's worship.